Good morning. Happy long weekend. I hope you're getting outside and enjoying that sunshine a little bit. Thanks for still being here and not being at the lake or something. That's awesome. Um, we are back in the book of John, as Lee mentioned. We spent the last number of weeks uh, going through uh, chapter 15 and 16 of 1 Corinthians. We are jumping back into our long series in the Gospel of John. And so we're picking it back up uh, at chapter 8 and verse 12. Um, and just before we read it, a quick note. Uh, if you have been with us through that series uh, and you have been paying attention, uh, you might notice that we are skipping uh, chapter 7, verse 53, through uh, chapter 8, verse 11, which is the story of the woman caught in adultery. Um, and just have a little look there in your Bible if you've got your Bible open. There should be a little, uh, a little subscript there in parentheses. Just have a look at that. It says the earliest manuscripts do not include 753 to 811. And so the reason that we're just skipping over this section is that uh, the scholarly literature is actually quite decisive that this story of the woman caught in adultery, uh, although it is a very powerful and awesome story, actually wasn't part of the original uh, manuscripts. It was actually added later uh, by certain scribes, and there's a lot of division about where it actually belongs in the Gospels. Should it be in John? Should it be at the end of uh, Luke or another Gospel or something like that? And so we are just going to skip over that for now. We might come back to it later at some point, but we're going to jump back in uh, at 8 verse 12. So let's read that together if you've got it. It says, again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisees said to him, you are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. And Jesus answered, even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true. For I know where I came from and where I am going. But you do not know where I come from or where I am going. You judge according to the flesh, I judge no one. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true, for it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. In your law it is written that the testimony of two people is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. They said to him, therefore, where is your father? And Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, but no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. So he said to them again, I am going away and you will seek me and you will die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. So the Jews said, will he kill himself since he says, where I am going, you cannot come? He said to them, you are from below, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. So they said to him, who are you? And Jesus said to them, just what I have been telling you from the beginning. I have much to say about you and much to judge, but he who sent me is true. And I declare to the world what I have heard from him. They did not understand that he had been speaking to them about the Father. So Jesus said to them, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he 
and that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. As he was saying these things, many believed in him. All right, there's the story. There's a lot in there. And it starts with verse 12. Jesus makes this huge grand statement, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And then it seems to launch into this discussion between Jesus and the Pharisees uh, based off of the statement that Jesus makes. And they get into this little bit of a, a back and forth that almost seems a little bit disjointed or a little bit disconnected from the big statement that Jesus started with, right? And this conversation is a little bit confusing. It seems pretty like all over the shop, a little bit hard to follow. And so I'm just going to summarize it for us really quickly. Basically what happens, Jesus makes this massive statement, I am the light of the world, which carries all of this weight for the original hearers. And like we'll see a whole lot of weight for us if we actually receive this and believe it. But he makes this big statement. And then the Pharisees, who are the uh, Jewish religious elites of the time, they come back at him saying, no, your testimony is not true. What you just said is not true. And they get into this back and forth where Jesus throughout the entire thing is basically trying to show them, trying to make clear for them who he is. He's saying, I came from the Father. I speak for the Father. All of these things that I'm telling you right now, that I'm the light of the world and all these other things, I'm just telling you what Father God said to me. And by saying this, this big statement, I am the light of the world. This is the second of seven big I am statements that Jesus makes throughout the Gospel of John, where he's basically taking uh, the identity of God, of Yahweh, in the Old Testament from Exodus 3, where God says, uh, he's talking to Moses at the burning bush, and Moses says, who should I tell the Egyptians uh, sent me? And God says, tell them, I am sent you. So this is God's way, Yahweh's way of identifying himself, and Jesus is taking that identification on himself and saying, I am the light of the world and has all these implications and the Pharisees don't like it. And what this conversation reveals, as we see in verse 21 and verse 24, is that the Pharisees, although they are very religious, they're all about their rules, they're all about law keeping and they say that they're all about God, this conversation between them and Jesus reveals that they actually don't know God because they don't know Jesus. And that's Jesus' point, is that he is God. He is I am, sent from God the Father, God who took on flesh and came to the world that he created. But these Pharisees do not recognize him. They don't know who he is. And so Jesus' point is that I am the light of the world, but you cannot see me because you are in darkness. You are in sin. You are in ignorance. And we get this contrast between light and dark. Death and sin and ignorance or light, which is seeing and life and goodness. And Jesus' big point for us today is that he is the light of the world who came to illuminate our darkness and allow us to see God, ourselves, life, and the world around us as we were meant to see it. That's what light does. But this conversation between Jesus and the Pharisees reveals that they are still in darkness. And I think if we can grasp what it actually means that Jesus is the light of the world, that is going to change everything. 
everything for us. So we're going to jump into that, and we're going to spend most of our time kind of hovering around that verse 12, that big statement of Jesus, I am the light of the world, and then we're going to uh, make some observations from uh, the conversation, a few verses from the conversation that follows. Does that, does that work? Does that make sense? All right, cool. I was going to do it anyway. All right, so context, right? We are still in uh, the festival of booths or the festival of tabernacles. If you remember that from uh, the last couple chapters, this is where uh, all the Jews would gather in Jerusalem and they would celebrate uh, what God did for the Israelites uh, in the wilderness. So he delivered them from Egypt, right, from slavery. And then they wander in the wilderness for 40 years on their way to the promised land where God was trying to get them and deliver them into life and goodness and all that he had for them. 40 years in the wilderness, they are celebrating in this festival that God in their wilderness wandering time provided for them miraculously bread from heaven. He provided water in the desert out of a rock. If you remember that story, um, Moses is supposed to speak to the rock and then water will come out of it. He gets frustrated and actually whacks it with his staff and then water comes out of it. So God miraculously provided water from the rock and God miraculously provided for his wandering people light. And that came in the form of uh, a pillar of cloud during the day for them to follow toward the promised land and at night, a pillar of fire. So God provided bread, he provided water, he provided light. This festival, they're celebrating God's wonderful, miraculous provision for his people. And what Jesus is doing here by making this statement at the festival, this is probably on the last day or just after the festival when everyone is still there, Jesus is capturing a moment. Jesus often does this. He's, man, it's beautiful. Jesus is way more of an artist than I think we realize. I talked to one guy who said if Jesus was uh, here today, he would probably be a filmmaker because he's so good at just capturing image and beauty uh, and capturing a moment. And so what Jesus has already done is if you remember when he's teaching the thousands on the hill and they're hungry and they're starting to think about bread, bread is on their mind, Jesus takes the loaves and the fishes and he multiplies them miraculously and gives them bread. And then he takes that moment, he captures it and says, I am the bread of life. So I know you're hungry for bread, physical bread, but are you hungry spiritually? Come to me and you'll never be hungry again. And then at this festival, he does the same thing. They would have had this uh, water ceremony where they were celebrating God's provision of water, where they would uh, take a little basin and scoop uh, water out of the pool of Siloam, which was moving, living water. And then they would pour it uh, down this thing onto an altar. And then everybody would celebrate, God gives us water and we need water for life. And that's when Jesus took that opportunity, when water is on their mind, they're celebrating this festival, he took that opportunity to say, all who are thirsty, come to me and drink, and I will give you living water. And that living water, like you just saw from the pool of Siloam, living water, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God will come pouring out of your heart. And then this is the last time Jesus does this with this light imagery at the festival. They had this awesome thing where at night when it would get dark, uh, they would go to uh, the treasury, which is, if you Red, that's where we are right now, uh, verse 20. These words Jesus spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple. So in the treasury, in the court of the women, there would have been these four massive, uh, basically, tubs or basins of oil hung up way high in the air. And they would light these on fire. And so they would create these massive orbs of fire and light. And everyone would gather around and go, 
That is just what God did for us in the wilderness when he provided the pillar of fire at night to guide us into the promised land where we needed to go and they would celebrate God's provision of light. And it was on the the temple mount, the highest point of a hill, and it would actually light up all of Jerusalem so you could see this light from anywhere and it would be this reminder, this beautiful reminder that God provides light and leads us to where we need to go. He leads us into life. And Jesus takes that opportunity, he captures that moment to stand up in the treasury, probably underneath these lights, and say to all these people, when their minds are on light, he stands up and he says, I am the light of the world. And what that would have meant for these people watching and listening, they they had their minds on God's provision, and Jesus is taking that moment to say, I am that God. I am that God who provided bread for you, who provided water for you. Come to me, feast on my presence. I wanna pour my spirit into your heart. I wanna lead you with light and lead you into life. And that would have instantly uh, put their minds also back as, as good Israelites, their minds back to the creation story, Genesis 1, right? Where the world, if you remember, it is, uh, it's formless, it's void, it's empty, and darkness is over the deep. That's what we read in Genesis 1. And the spirit of God is hovering over the water. And then what does God do? He speaks a word and says, let there be light. And then boom, light crashes into the darkness. It provides life. It provides shape where there was no form. It provides uh, filling where there was emptiness. It provides goodness where there was only darkness. And then the world begins. There's light, there's the sun, there's the moon, there's animals, there's life. And so Jesus is standing up and saying, I am the light of the world. Where you are formless, where you are empty, I want to come and fill you up. Where there's chaos in your life and disorder, I want to come and bring order. I want to come and bring meaning and purpose. Where there's death, I want to come and bring life. Jesus came to be the light of the world, to illuminate our darkness and allow us to see God, to see ourselves and to see the world as we were meant to see it. And so we're just going to pick up Uh, a few things. I just want to focus on three things that I think it means that Jesus is uh, the light of the world. And the first one is that light reveals reality. Light reveals reality. So Jesus having this conversation with the Pharisees, uh, it served this purpose of showing, actually exposing where their hearts truly were, the reality of their hearts, that although they were very religious, they were hiding behind their religion, and they actually didn't know God because they don't accept Jesus. They reject Jesus as the light of the world. And so light reveals the reality of their hearts, reveals where they actually are, and this is what light does, right? It's easy to hide things in darkness because you can't see Darkness is chaos. You can't see what's going on. You can't even see your own hands in front of you. Things hide in the dark, but light reveals what's actually there, right? You've experienced this. I've experienced this. Um, In in my undergrad in college, uh, I went to Trinity Western out here, and something that me and my buddy would do is every spring break, we would drive from here uh, down to Santa Barbara in California, and it's like a 22, 24-hour drive somewhere in there. Um, But we would just drive down, and then we would camp in Santa Barbara. And when I say camp, I mean, two of us would sleep in my two-door Honda Civic for a week, and we would live off peanut butter pretzels from Costco, and one $5 foot long, because it was $5 foot long time. Um, But we would drive down there, and we would just sleep in my car and camp. The first time that we did it, we we had never been to Santa Barbara before. We were just like, oh, it looks nice, it looks pretty. And so we drove down there, and 
Um, my friend, you know, him and I, we said we'd split the driving, we'll do it. I'd never believe your friend when he says, I'll sleep first, and then you drive first, and then I'll take over. Never believe that. That's garbage, right? So I drove 22 straight hours to Santa Barbara, and we got there in the middle of the night. It's pitch black. We have no idea what's going on. We can't see anything, but we just, I was so delirious and so tired, and it's so dark, and I'm so confused that I just pulled off like the interstate highway onto a random street. It looked like it was just the middle of nowhere. I'm like, great, this is awesome. We'll camp out here, we'll sleep here for one night, uh, and then we'll, we'll, uh, we'll explore. We'll find a better place to camp where it's actually probably legal. And so we pull onto this street, and it's pitch black and it's dark, and we go to sleep, and then we wake up in the morning. The sun kind of pours into the, the Honda Civic camper and wakes us up, and we are a mess at this point, right? It's two 20-year-old guys. We're, we're, looking, we're looking like hobos, to be honest. We're looking like homeless people in the street, and we have subway garbage, and we open the door, and this garbage comes pouring out onto the street, and I'm trying to think of a, a good way to say this. We, we didn't have the most clothing on, right, because we're sleeping, and I didn't have the most pants on, is what I'm trying to say. And I stumble out of my car, and you know, we're yawning, oh man, okay, let's, uh, we're good to go, we're somewhere in the wilderness here, and we look up, and we are right in front of an elementary school. And there's hundreds of kids in the field at recess time, just like wide-eyed looking at us, like, and I'm like, oh, it's good, I got my working with children check, it's fine, it's good, but, right, I, I had no idea because we got there in darkness, I had no idea what was around us. The light that came in the morning revealed what was actually going on. It revealed reality. And this is what Jesus does. He reveals the sinful state of our hearts. He reveals our sin and brokenness. He reveals all the stuff that we try to conceal, that we can hide in the darkness. And he smashes it with his light. He brings it out into the open. Why? Not so he can judge and condemn and throw that in our face, but so that he can do something about it. Right? Jesus' conversation, his presence with these Pharisees revealed that their hearts were far from him. That verse 21 and 24, like we read, if they continue on this way, they are going to die in their sins. Sin is serious. Sin separates us from God. Sin fractures our relationship with God. And if something is not done about it, we are going to die in that sin. That's just the reality. That's just what Jesus says straight up. Right? And what happens so often is when we are doing things, we're living in a way that we know God has not called us to live, a way that we know is damaging to our relationship with God, it's damaging to our own mental state, it's damaging to our own heart, our own relationships, it's sowing destruction and death in our own heart, in our own life. When we're doing those things, when we're living those ways, what we want to do sometimes is keep it in the dark, right? keep it from being brought into the light. And I think one of the most absolutely destructive, damning lies of Satan that we believe is that we are better off keeping our sin in the dark than bringing it out into the light. Right? He lies to us. He tells us, no, you did that thing. You thought that thing. You know, this thing that maybe your own family, your own spouse doesn't even know about, your coworkers, your whoever doesn't even know about, the people closest to you, don't bring it into the light. Keep it hidden because if you bring it out into the light, that's gonna be painful Right? But what Jesus says is, no, I need to expose that thing. I need to bring it out into the light of my goodness so I can actually heal you, so I can do something about it. Right? And here's the beautiful thing, guys. 
Look at verse 16. Yet even if I do, sorry, verse 15. You judge according to the flesh, I judge no one. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true, for it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. Right, and then look again, go down to verse 26. I have much to say about you and much to judge, but he who sent me is true, and I declare to the world what I have heard from him. This is Jesus saying, I'm I'm here to reveal your sin and your brokenness, not so that I can judge you now and condemn you now and shame you and guilt you now so that I can do something about it because later on, I am going to judge And my judgment is going to be true because it's going to be the judgment of God. On the last day, there will be judgment for every sin, but it is not now. Jesus is saying to us, while you still have life, while you still have breath in your lungs, while you're still living, bring your sin out into the light. Let me show it to you so that you can bring it to the feet of Jesus. Right? We think that we're doing ourselves a favor when we we keep our sin in the dark and keep it hidden but it's a virus, man. It's insidious. It's a disease. It seeps into everything. We don't even realize it. It seeps into our thinking. It seeps into our conversations, the way we think, speak, act. It poisons our relationships. And Jesus, as the good physician, is saying, I want to point that out and I want to heal it. I want to get rid of that thing. It's like a, 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 a brilliant doctor finding an early diagnosis of a deadly disease so that it doesn't kill you. Right, We all know people, or maybe you have had that, that instance where you know, it's cancer, it's a tumor, it's a disease, it's something. But you go to the doctor and he says, this is what it is, it's cancer, but we caught it early. And we can do something about it, we can heal it. We can do surgery, we can do treatment, you're gonna be okay. That's what Jesus is doing. And the news right off the bat, when it's revealed to us, it's a gut punch, it brings us to our knees but it's necessary, it's good and beautiful because then we can go and be healed. Man, listen to Jesus' words in John chapter three. It says, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Those are the options. Light has come into the world. Healing has come into the world. Jesus has done something about our sin. He wants to expose it and then do something about it. But you can either receive or reject that light. You can choose to stay in darkness and death and keep being destroyed by that sin or you can move and step into the light and be forgiven as painful as it is to do that. And guys, I've heard over and over again talking to people who have said, no, I don't wanna confess my sins. I don't wanna bring it out into the light because every time I've done that, I've gotten burned. I've been judged by people. I've been condemned by people people who are supposed to be Christians. I I confessed my sin to them. I let them in on something in my life and they condemned me for it. That's not the heart of Jesus. Crossage, we need to create as a church culture a space where we can do what James uh, chapter five tells us to do. Confess your sins to one another. Pray for each other. Why? So you can be healed. 
That's the heart of Jesus. We need to be, if anywhere, where else is going to be a safe space for that? You need somebody in your life who can look you in the face and you can confess to them where you're falling short and they can pray for you and care for your soul and show you the grace of Jesus. You need to be that for somebody. Do you have somebody in your life that you have that relationship with? Light reveals reality, not so that we can be condemned, but so that we can be healed. Because the other side of light showing what's actually real is beauty and goodness and truth. On the other side of confession and repentance and bringing that stuff before God and before somebody else and being prayed for and cared for is freedom. The freedom that you're longing for, the life that you're longing for is on the other side of that. The other side of the coin with the Santa Barbara thing was, yeah, the light came and revealed that we were uh, in a school zone and being weirdos, and that was bad. It revealed our sin, but then we walked a few feet across the street, and we had no idea in the darkness of night, but we looked up, and we were on the top of this hill looking down at the valley where there was the greenest grass I've ever seen in my life. There were palm trees just majestic everywhere. There's mountains in the background, just the clearest blue ocean I've ever seen. The sun is shining down, just golden light everywhere, man. I just thought that's a beautiful picture of on one side, the light revealed my sin, it revealed my brokenness, but then on the other side of that, light also reveals the beauty and the goodness and the truth of God and the world that he has placed us into. That's what's waiting for you on the other side of bringing that sin into the light. That's Jesus' heart. Let me heal you. You know, we think we can't come to God. We're too bad. The stuff we've done is too dirty. It's awful. We need to clean ourselves up before we come to God. Jesus says, no, you can't. Come as you are. Bring all your stuff to me. Lay it at my feet because I want to take care of it. I want to heal you. And that leads into the next thing I just want to point out from this passage is that light gives life. Light gives life. We already saw this in John chapter 1, verse 4, um, that life was in him, in Jesus. The word became flesh. Life was in him, and the life was the light of man. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome the light. That is the truth, that life, light is life, and life is in Jesus and Jesus alone. That's what he's trying to say to these Pharisees. You think that you know God because you're religious. You think you know him, but you don't because you don't receive me as God. And in me is life, not in religion, not in morality, not in rule keeping, not in going to church. See, sometimes we can hide behind our religiosity. We can hide behind the things we do and think that that gives us life. We search for life in so many places, don't we? So many places other than the one true God. You know, whether that's relationships, whether that's work or pursuits or success or making money or any of these other things where we look to give us life because we are desperately searching for life and for meaning and for purpose and for salvation. Jesus is saying the only place that you're going to find that is me. He says, I am the light. He didn't say I am a light of the world. Right, I was on a bachelor party a couple weekends ago and I was um, the only Christian out of like, you know, 25 guys it was kind of wild, but I ended up in this, this big discussion with some of these guys about, like, you don't actually think Jesus is the only way, right? Like, you know, if we're good enough or, like, you know, there's so many other religions. There's, there's, you know, Islam, there's Buddhism, there's all these other things. I believe that God is God, and, you know, all of these paths lead to the same place, the same God, and you might, you might believe that here today. What Jesus is saying is, no, that actually doesn't 
work because I came, John chapter one says, Jesus came to reveal the light of the glory of the Father. Jesus came to show us what God is like. We cannot see the character and the heart and see who God actually is apart from Jesus. He's saying, if you wanna know who God is, you wanna know what God is like, look at me, receive me, follow me, believe in me, and in that, you will have life. We look for life in so many other areas, but we know, you know from your experience, these other things, if we look to them as if they are God, as if they will give us life and satisfy us, they always crush us and leave us lifeless and empty and unfulfilled because they cannot deliver what they promise to deliver or what we expect them to deliver. Because only the God of the universe, only Jesus can play that role. Only he can satisfy. That's why he said, I'm the bread of life. I'm living water. I'm the light of the world. Light is life, and life is only found in Jesus. And we can even look for life in the things that Jesus gives us, or we want Jesus to give us. Right? Did you catch what he said in in verse 12 here? He said, I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will, what? Have the light of life. And the light of life is in him. Jesus God never intended to give us gifts that are completely apart and separate from himself. That's his point. The greatest gift that God could ever give us is the gift of himself, the gift of his presence, that we get to do life walking hand in hand with the creator of the world, the creator of the universe, the God of the universe wants to live with us and live in us, his spirit in us, informing us, leading us, guiding us through life. That is the greatest gift we could ever have. And what does Jesus say? If you doubt that, which these Pharisees do. Look at verse 28. So Jesus said to them, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, and that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. So these Pharisees are not convinced that Jesus is God. They're not convinced that he's from the Father. They're convinced that they can find life elsewhere, Jesus says, when you see the Son of Man lifted up, then you will know. What's he saying? He's not saying like lifted up like when you, you know, put Jesus on your shoulders like Rudy and like, yay, like not lifted up. This is always a reference when when Jesus says lifted up or when John says lifted up, it's always a reference to Jesus' crucifixion. When you see the Son of Man lifted up on the cross, crucified for you, then you will realize that he is God. And I think what Jesus is saying here is he's saying, think about all of the other things, all of the other false wannabe gods that you go after to give you life and fulfillment and forgiveness of your sins, whether that's relationships or people or pursuits or money or sex or whatever else you go after. If you expect those things to be God, what happens? They ultimately let you down and crush you and will kill you. That's why Jesus says you will die in your sins if you continue on this way. And he says instead of looking to those things that will ultimately crush and kill you, look to the only God who came down and was crushed and killed for you. Because that's only Jesus. Right, where every other thing that we turn to to try and find life lets us down No other thing in the world lived perfectly for us. No other God came down, lived perfectly, died sacrificially for us, rose from the grave miraculously, 
and gives us life for you. Every other thing will just crush and destroy you. Jesus was crushed and destroyed for you to set you free, to give you life, to give you his spirit. And then he promises every, every time almost in John's gospel when Jesus says, in me is life, when John says, in him is life, it's this word zoe, which doesn't mean like physical, biological life. It means spiritual life. It means eternal life, life forever, a certain length, life forever with God in his presence, but also a quality of life, which is life abundant and full and meaningful. And Jesus knows that's what we're looking for. That's what we're searching for. He says, it's in me, and it's in me alone. If you doubt that I am the only God of the universe from the Father come down to save you and heal you, look to the cross. If you doubt what God's opinion is and his view of broken sinners and how much he loves you, look at the cross. If you doubt how much God cares for you and wants to be in relationship with you and is the only one who can give you the life that you're looking for, look to the cross. The only one who was crushed and killed for you. In him is life. Light gives life. Every other thing that we look to to give us light and life is going to let us down. And so we get this thing where the Son of Man was lifted up and this, this event that looked like the most dark and defeated and tragic event in history, Jesus crucified on the cross, actually ends up being the light to the world. Because you look to the cross and instead of a man defeated and killed and crucified, it is God who came down crucified for our sins, saying, I am the light of the world. All who look to me, who believe in me, who trust in me with their life and everything and follow me will have life. You will not die in your sins. The light of the world crucified on a hill, lifted up for us that all who would come to him would never die but would have eternal life. The last thing I just want to point out is that light brings perspective Light brings perspective, right? In the dark, we don't know what's going on. We don't know where we're going. We can't even see ourselves. We can't see our surroundings. We don't know what we're doing. That's darkness. Light brings perspective. I just want us to look again at verse 23. Jesus says to these Pharisees, you are from below, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. I just want to narrow in on that for a second. You are from below, I am from above. You are of this world. The other times that uh, we hear this phrase, of the world, um, in context, uh, Jesus says it to his disciples uh, in John chapter 14 through uh, 17, where he's praying to the Father, and he's uh, basically saying, Father, I'm going to send my disciples into the world. I'm not going to take them out of the world once they're saved and believed in me. I'm going to send them in, and they're going to be in the world, but not of the world. And when Jesus accuses people of being of the world, like these Pharisees, he's not saying a geographical thing like you're from earth. The world means the culture. And Jesus is saying to these Pharisees, you cannot see who I am, who God is. You cannot see who you are rightly. You cannot see what my mission and your mission now is in the world because you are of the world, which means you are representative of, you have bought into, and you are living out the vision and the values of the culture that you're immersed in. Right? And what Jesus is doing is he is providing light, he's providing perspective 
that is eternal. He's saying, I want to lift your eyes, I want to lift your vision to a perspective that actually goes beyond the next year, the next two years, five years, 20 years. I want you to think about the next 20 trillion years. Because if Jesus' words are true, if heaven and hell are real, if eternity is real, then what we do in this life, guys, what, how we use our, our time and our money and our resources and our bodies, how we speak, how we act, how we do work, how we do marriage and friendship and relationship, if Jesus' words are true, then how we use all of those things, what we do in this life actually echoes out into eternity. And so I've heard people say, well, because we're mortal, because, you know, we only have a few number of years, you know, like YOLO kind of mentality, life and all these moments are actually so much more important because if we just live forever, then it doesn't matter, right? Life's short, so everything's more meaningful. Jesus is saying the opposite. He's saying your life, every moment, every decision you make, everything that you do is vastly more important because it echoes out into eternity, And Jesus is trying to lift our vision, lift our eyes, lift our perspective above the here and now, the momentary pleasures, the momentary things that our our culture is so fixed on, being of the world. What is our culture? What is our world about? It's about, let's not think about the future, let's think about now. Let's think about self-glorification and self-gratification, right? Let's live for now, let's live for me, get all the stuff that I can in my life, and that's what life is about. Jesus is saying, no, as the light of the world, I came to give you a perspective that is not just horizontal, not just of the world, but is vertical, that is eternal, that goes beyond the here and now, that goes into eternity, and what you do in your life actually matters because of that. Ephesians, Paul says this to the church. He says, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Look at that. The days are evil. They're dark. So wake up. You're not part of that darkness anymore. You're light in the Lord. Live with wisdom and make the best use of the time because the days are dark and evil. Right, we hear this phrase, we love this phrase, right, as Christians, you know, we're in the world but not of the world. Right, we're in the world, not of the world. It's this cute little phrase, but we think that it means, you know, we're Christians, God saved us, but we have to be in this world because, I don't know, we just have to stay here until we die and then we'll go to heaven and then we'll be separate from the world. So while we have to be here, um, we're not supposed to be of the world. So that means, uh, what am I supposed to do? I'm not supposed to uh, get drunk. I'm not supposed to have sex with people that aren't my spouse. I'm not supposed to uh, do this or do that and do that. And it's like, is that seriously your bar for not being of the world? You're not gonna commit adultery? Like, don't commit adultery. But is that your bar for not being of the world? Do you think that that's actually what Jesus meant by don't be of the world? Don't do some things? How about, think about the way that you think. Think about the way you use your time. Think about the materialism in the world that has completely overcome us, even Christians. Our addiction to entertainment, how we use our time, how we use our money, our obsession with self-image. Look at me. I'm going to post my meal on Instagram. Look how good I look. Right? Obsession with these things. What if Jesus is saying, 
to not be of the world is to think differently, to have a different perspective where we're not just living for these things. Do you think any different? If people look at your life, not just the things that you don't do, like, cool, you didn't smoke a cigarette, like, good job, bro. Like, the way that you live, what you actually do with the things God has given you, would anybody look at that, look at your life, and know that you have the spirit of the living God in you? Right, are your priorities different? Do you think different? Do you use what God has given you differently? See, what Jesus does, he says, I am the light of the world, but we sometimes stop there, but Jesus actually passed this mandate onto his disciples, onto his followers. Matthew 5, when he's talking to his disciples, he says, you are the light of the world. Jesus is the light of the world, but then he says, you are the light of the world, right? And I'm sending you out. Matthew 28, go and make disciples of all nations, And he says, I'm going to be with you to the end of the age, but go, go to the dark spaces of the world. I'm not taking you out of the world. I'm sending you into it with a different perspective to think and to live and to prioritize differently, to go and light up the darkness of the world by providing hope and light where everybody's stressing about something. Are you a non-anxious presence in that space because of the resurrection, because of the hope that you have in Jesus? Are you actually bringing light into these spaces, or you just hiding in the shadows, pretending you're not a Christian, hanging on until the day that you die so you can go to heaven. No. And just think about this for a second. If Jesus' words are true, verse 21, you will die in your sin. Verse 24, I told you that you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am He, you will die in your sins. You will die. What does that do in your heart? Seriously, do you believe that? Because if you believe that, it means that everybody in the world needs the light of Jesus, needs the life of Jesus, that Jesus is the light of the world, the only way to God, the only way to salvation. And that means that everyone who does not have the light, the life of Jesus, will die in their sins. Jesus cannot make it any more plain and clear for us. Without me, you will die. Think about the people you know. Think about the people you love. Do you care? Do you care enough to put the momentary, worldly, earthly, temporal things that would distract you to the side and sacrifice them for eternity, for the people you know who do not know Jesus, who without him will die? Right, have we grown so cold that we that doesn't rock our hearts, that doesn't do something in us, create this unrest, this urgency in us to go and be light in the world? Right? And it's not that complicated. I'm not I'm not saying quit your job and give away all your money and don't do anything and just be a loser and have nothing going on. I'm not even asking you to to change what you're doing. I don't like man, just wherever you go right now. If you're a businessman, you have a business because God gave you that business. Enjoy it. It's a great thing. Has God gifted you to make money and make lots of money? Amazing. Make lots of money. Just realize that it's not your money. It's God's money. Do you love your house? That's awesome. I'm not one of these guys that's like, you need to live in a shanty town. You need to sleep in a Honda Civic to be a Christian. Right? Enjoy your house. It's a good gift God has given you. Just realize it's not your house. 
Be hospitable with it. Have people in it. Love people with it. Bless people with it. It's not yours. Are you fit? Do you love to work out and go to the gym and you spend three hours every night at the gym and you look great, amazing? Enjoy that. It's not your body. Use it to glorify God. Use it to be light in that space. Right, go, just do something. Do something. Get to know the people in your workspace. Get to know their story. Take them for a coffee. Buy them groceries if they're struggling. Pray for them. Tell them Jesus loves them. Like, just do something. If you're one of those socially awkward people and you just cannot talk to human beings, be a prayer warrior in that space. Pray up a storm in that space. Pray for your coworkers. Pray for their hearts that they'd be softened to the gospel. Just do something. Be light. Be life in that space. Think about the way you're living. Is it of this, of this world or do you have this heavenly perspective, this eternal perspective that Jesus wants to lift your eyes to? Then when are we going to take that seriously? Because there's always an excuse not to, right? That's the thing. It's like, well, man, I'm busy. I know. Is life going to get less busy? Like when? When do we take this seriously? When the kids grow up and move out of the house? Because then there's going to be renos you want to do with your house. Once the renos are done, then we'll take this seriously. Maybe when we retire, maybe when we make enough money, when we're successful enough, then we'll take that seriously. I'm saying right now, how can you be light in the spaces that I have sent you to go and be light? I love how C.S. Lewis puts this. He says, it is a serious thing to live in a society of possible gods and goddesses. To remember that the dullest, most uninteresting person you can talk to may one day be a creature, which if you saw it now, you would be strongly tempted to worship. Or else a horror and a corruption such as you now meet, if at all, only in a nightmare. All day long we are, in some degree, helping each other to one or the other of these destinations. It is in the light of these overwhelming possibilities, it is with the awe and the circumspection proper to them that we should conduct all of our dealings with one another. All friendships, all loves, all play, all politics. There are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilizations, these are mortal, and their life is to ours as the life of a gnat. But it is immortals whom we joke with, work with, marry, snub, and exploit. Immortal horrors or everlasting splendors. And. Jesus has called us to go and be light in the world as I am light in the world. To go and take the gospel, to go and take the love of Jesus. He said, I want to light your fire. I want to pour my spirit into your heart so that that spirit pours out of you like living water in the places that you go. That you radiate the love of Jesus. You radiate the peace of Jesus. You radiate the grace and the mercy and the goodness of Jesus in the spaces that I have sent you. In verse 30 in our passage, many who heard Jesus believed. That's where we need to get to. They responded. These people responded. They heard the truth. The truth came to them with power and conviction because, like Jesus said, it's not I who speak on my own. The Father, the Spirit of God, bears witness to what I'm saying. And so I'm just going to ask us to respond out of this passage, out of this truth. Um, I'm going to invite the band up. Sean, somewhere in this place. There you go. Um, and we're just going to, before we go into communion, we're just going to take two minutes and the band's just going to play we're not going to sing and I'm just going to ask you guys to reflect on these three questions 
and actually just take this seriously. It'll just take a minute, but I want you to reflect on this and actually just pray to God about these things, um, whichever one of these seems to be most relevant for you. Um, The first thing is, what is the true state of my heart right now? What do I need to bring into the light of confession and repentance in order to be healed? Second thing is, have I trusted and am I still trusting Jesus alone to forgive my sins and give me abundant, eternal life with him? The third thing is, am I living with an eternal perspective? Or has my perspective been of this world? How is God calling me to use what he has given me to shine the light of Christ where he has sent me? If we have those questions, let's get them up there because no one's going to remember that. Hey, that's okay. Just take two minutes and just reflect on that. And I would just urge you to get, get real with God. He already knows your heart, right? It's silly to keep things in the dark that God already knows about. He knows every, not every word and every action only, but he knows every little thing that we think. So I'm just encouraging you to bring that into the light. Deal with it with God.